Luke chapter 2, let's begin reading at verse 8, shall we? Let's read together. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this house today. Thank you for the privilege of coming together with your people, for the privilege of experiencing that manifest presence of the Lord. And now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches in this city especially and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you will draw them to a place of repentance. I particularly lift up to you sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Lord, when I say that, there are, there are some people on my mind right now that I'm thinking of. There are those on the minds of other people who hear and share in this prayer. They're thinking of them. We're targeting specifically those people, Lord, asking you to draw them so that not one of them is lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. It was a night just like every other night in the Bethlehem fields, until suddenly, without warning, it wasn't. Only moments before, the air was still, the sky was dark, the sheep had settled down, the shepherds were huddled around the fire. Silent night, holy night, all is calm. Then, with no advance notice, the tranquility of the night was shattered with a brilliant light and the appearance of an angelic messenger. Had you taken a survey of those shepherds and asked them to tell you the most unlikely thing they expected, the events of this night would not have even made a blip on the radar screen. The shepherds were so startled, the angel had to calm them by saying, Do not be afraid before he could even deliver his message. Oh, what a glorious message it was. Today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In our modern world, there seems to be some confusion about this word, Christ. Some have assumed that Christ is the last name of Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ. But Christ isn't a name, it's a title. Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word Messiah. 
both Messiah and Christ mean the same thing, anointed one. The proclamation of the angels is that his name shall be called Christ, the anointed one. The biblical idea of anointing and anointed is a very significant one. To anoint literally means to smear on, usually with oil. This is what was happening when the children of Israel experienced their pa the first Passover. They were in Egypt, you remember, and were told to kill a lamb and use hyssop to place its blood on the outside of their house. In that act, they were anointing their houses with the blood. They were smearing it on the doorposts and the lintels of their houses. When something or someone is anointed, that person or thing is set apart from the ordinary. When something or someone is anointed in the Bible, it is marked for divine purpose. This idea of anointing is also connected to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says at the beginning of his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me, he's talking about the power of God being smeared upon his life so that he has supernatural enablement to minister in the power of the Spirit of God. Finally, the Bible tells us that the anointing has to do with rulership and authority. That's why priests were anointed at their commissioning and kings were anointed at their coronation. A person is anointed and from that point on, that person has placed upon his or her life a mantle of authority that is recognized by others. When God anoints someone, that person has been graced with a divine ability to accomplish the work to which that person has been called and sent. Now, when you understand something about the idea of anointing, then you are better able to understand what the angels were singing about when they told the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and see a baby who was Christ, the anointed one. This baby wasn't just any baby. This baby was anointed. He wasn't just an anointed baby. He was the anointed one, the Messiah of Israel, the Christ of God. This baby was set apart for divine purpose. This baby was supernaturally enabled. This baby was divinely favored. This baby was to occupy a position held by none other, a position of supreme rulership and authority. When you behold this baby in the manger, you're seeing the Christ, the anointed one, like no one else has ever been anointed. First, he is uniquely the anointed one as the fulfillment of promise. When you look at this baby, you're seeing the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where God spoke to the serpent who had tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
This child is anointed to fulfill the promise of God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 3 when he said, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He is anointed to fulfill the promise of Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He is anointed to fulfill the promise of Psalm 132 and 11. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. He is anointed to fulfill the promise of Jeremiah 23 and 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Of all the billions of people who have been born on this planet, there is no one else who has been uniquely anointed as has this child as the fulfillment of promise for the whole of the world. You know, when you stop and think about it, my name is a fairly common, ordinary name, John Morgan. There's even a well-known attorney with the same name that you hear a lot about in advertisements. You know, I'm John Morgan, Morgan and Morgan for the people. It's rather comical how many people think they're telling me something I've never heard when they hear my name and they quote that advertisement to me. And then they ask if I've ever heard that before or, or if I've ever been asked if that's me. I used to try and say something funny or cute like, I just wish I had his bank account. You know. Now if they ask me if I've ever been, to been told that, I say, no, that's the first time I've ever heard it. What are you talking about? It really messes with them. My name is pretty common, and even when you add my middle initial of V over the course of the history of the world, there must have been many, many people with the name John V. Morgan. But if you want to know how many guys named John V. Morgan have ever been in the world who were the grandson of Vance and Ida Howard and John and Mary Morgan, who were the eldest son of Johnny and Jovel Morgan, who were born December 10, 1955, which, by the way, I have a birthday coming up in case anybody was interested. <clears throat> just thought I'd just drop that in there. Who lived at 6723 La Loma Drive in Jacksonville, Florida. There is only one who fulfills all of those. I am he. In the history of the world, I am the only person who can fulfill all those criteria I've just described. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, there are some 60 major prophecies and over 300 references concerning the coming of the one known as the Messiah, the Anointed One. These prophecies serve to single out this person from anyone who has ever lived in history, past, present, and future. The promise began in Genesis 3.15, where only one man was born of the seed of a woman. All others are born of the seed of a man. In Genesis 9 and 10, the choice gets narrowed further. Noah, you remember, had three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. 
all the nations of the world can be traced back to these three men. But in this passage, God eliminated two-thirds of them from the fulfillment of promise when he promised that the Messiah would come through the lineage of Shem. When you come to Abraham, God narrows the choice even further when he promises Abraham that the Messiah would be one of his descendants. When Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, a vast number of Abraham's descendants were eliminated when God selected his second son, Isaac, as the son of promise. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and God chose the line of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, out of whom developed the 12 tribes of Israel. God eliminated 11 Israelite tribes and singled out the tribe of Judah for Messiahship. Of all the family lines within Judah's tribe, the line of Jesse was the divine choice. Jesse had eight children, and God eliminated seven of Jesse's sons, who seemed on the surface to be better choices when he chose David. So, we see that the uniquely anointed one will be the seed of a woman, the lineage of Shem, a descendant of Abraham, the line of Isaac, the offspring of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, and the house of David. And then you add promises like Isaiah 7 and 14, where the prophet declared it will be a natural birth of supernatural conception because he will be born of a virgin. In Micah 5 and 2, God eliminated all the cities of the world and selected Bethlehem of Judea with a population of less than a thousand people as the birthplace of his anointed one. God even defined the time frame for this unique birth. The Old Testament prophecies require the Messiah to come while the temple of Jerusalem is still standing. This means that Messiah had to come before A.D. 70, because that's when the temple was destroyed and has not been rebuilt since. The precise lineage, the exact place, the period of time, the manner of birth, the reaction of the people, the betrayal, the manner of his death, these are just a few fragments of the hundreds of details God placed in his holy word to define who would be the anointed one. And I'm here to tell you, the only one who fulfills every single one of these prophecies and meets all the criteria for the anointed one of God is the baby proclaimed to startled shepherds that night on the Judean hillside. This child in the manger is the uniquely anointed one. This child and this child alone is the Christ. He alone is uniquely set apart and given authority and divinely favored. He alone is the hope of the ages. He alone is the salvation of the people. He alone is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, anointed as the fulfillment of promise. Not only is he the fulfillment of promise, the Bible also says that he is anointed as a forceful presence. That's the meaning of Acts 10.38 where where Peter is preaching to the Gentile household of Cornelius and he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Because... He is anointed as a forceful presence. King Herod will feel his position so threatened by this child that he will kill every infant from the age of two years old and under in the region where he was born in an attempt to destroy his life. He is such a forceful presence that one of his disciples will say to his brother, come see for yourself this Jesus, this man who is the Messiah. 
He has such a forceful presence that the woman at the well urges the townspeople, come see a man who told me all that I had ever done. He has such a forceful presence that a group of Greeks will approach the disciples and say, sirs, we wish to see Jesus. He has such a forceful presence that John the baptizer will testify, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has such a forceful presence that the lame and the blind and the deaf and the leper will proclaim, come see the one who brought healing and wholeness and new life to my body. He has such a forceful presence that even Pilate at his crucifixion says to the mob, behold the man. I'm telling you today, this one whom we worship is not just a baby in a manger, but he's the Christ, the anointed one of God. He's the one before whom angels bow. He's the one before whom demons tremble. He is the one who is the answer to every part of the human equation and the human question. To the question of sin, he is the Savior. To the question of sorrow, he is the comforter. To the question of suffering, he is the helper. To the question of sickness, he is the healer. To the question of storms, he is the peace speaker. To the question of burdens, he is the load lifter. To the question of blocked paths, he is the way maker. To the question of bondage, he is the deliverer. To the question of weakness, he is strength. To the question of fatigue, he is rest. To the question of despair, he is hope. To the question of defeat, he is the victory. To the question of death, he is the resurrection and the life. He is anointed, hallelujah. He is empowered, given authority, and uniquely set apart as a forceful presence. That's why Jesus comes out of the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, and he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath. He stood up to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the, to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes of the congregation were fixed upon him, and he said to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for the anointed one to arrive. He's already here. Whatever your question, he is the answer. Whatever your problem, he is the solution. Because he is here, weeping is turned into rejoicing. Because he is here, despair is turned into hope. Because he is here, defeat is turned into victory. Because he is here, the sin debt is canceled. Because he is here, the tempter's power is broken. Because he is here, sickness is restored to health. Because he is here, brokenness is made whole. Unto you. See, this is not just a song to startled shepherds on a hillside. Unto you is born this day the anointed one, Christ the Lord. He is the one who can take whatever's wrong and make it right. He is uniquely set apart, divinely favored, and given authority as a forceful presence. Not only is this child anointed as a fulfillment of promise and a forceful presence, but he is anointed as the one who is forever preeminent. 
The Gospel of John chapter 1 tells about this preeminence when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You skip down, verse 14 of that chapter continues and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. His preeminence is declared in Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Finally, you get over to the book of the Revelation, and its preeminence is found in chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. The revelation of his preeminence continues in verses 11 through 16 of that chapter when John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and, and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to tell you, this is who the angels proclaim to the shepherds as the Christ. He is the preeminent Lord of glory. He is the Lord who is soon returning to this earth. And I tell you, when he returns, he won't be returning as a helpless infant in a manger. He won't be returning as a suffering servant. He won't be returning to be persecuted and despised and rejected. He won't be returning to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. The next time he comes, he's coming as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, eternal ruler and sovereign of the universe. He's coming as the mighty conqueror, the victorious lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah be to his name. Somebody ought to give praise to the conquering Lord today. The preeminent Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if those shepherds were aware of all that when they heard the angel's song about a baby being born who was Christ the Lord. But this I do know. The song they heard, the sights they saw, and the glory they felt when they knelt in the straw before that feed trough holding a baby touched their hearts in a way they had never been touched before. When these shepherds left that stable, they were different people. I can promise you that when you meet this holy child, you will never be the same again. 
Once you meet him, you will never think of Christmas the same way. Once you meet him, you can never see the plays and read the cards and sing the carols in the same way. That's why we continue to proclaim the same message year after year after year. Because this Christ, this anointed one, is set apart, empowered, and given authority to totally transform your life and your world. The promise of God is fulfilled. The power of God has arrived. The provision of God is announced. The preeminence of God is established. The kingdom of God has broken into this world in the form of the anointed one, Christ the Lord. Today, the life and the peace and the hope and the help and the joy and the blessing and the glory and the provision of that kingdom it's extended to you as you turn to Jesus the Christ in simple faith and trust. There's a phrase that gets a lot of attention and a lot of traction around this time of year. So much so that it's become something of a cliche. You hear it all the time. Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? I know what's meant by that statement, and in many ways, it's true. It's a means of focusing this time away from the commercialism onto the person whose birthday we celebrate. But there is another sense in which that statement is not true. In reality, you are the reason for the season. Had the world not needed a savior, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. But Jesus came, not just for the world, but for you. God so loved you that he gave Jesus for you. You are the reason for his coming. You are the reason we celebrate the birth. This year, don't miss the message of the angel song. Unto you is born a savior. Jesus was born for you. He came because you needed him. Even when you didn't know it, you needed him. Today, he comes right where you need him most. He comes to everyone who will receive him. He comes to everyone who will make room for him. So where do you need Jesus today? Won't you invite him to come to you at your point of need? Bow with me, please.
Lord Jesus, we need you. That's why you came. And some of us, as we're in this service, we, we recognize there is a particular need, a particular place where we need you. I'm asking you to put your finger on that place in our lives and touch us right where we need you the most. As our heads are bowed for just a moment in the quietness of this time, I wonder if there's somebody that would respond and say, just by simply lifting your hand and putting it right back down to say, Pastor John, I need Jesus in some place in my life. There's some place where I need his help. If that's you, would you just, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh yeah, hands all over the place. Yes, thank you so much. You can put them back down. I need you, oh, I need you, every hour, I need you, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I make that your prayer right now out of your heart. Just tell him, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. <laughs> oh, bless me now, my sin. I want to tell you, your first need is to surrender your life to Him. To be born again. If you've not done that, that's the starting place. Everything else springs out of that, that, that one beginning point. And all that you have to do to be born again is simply in your heart, in your mind, make a decision, Lord. I'm turning away from the old life. I'm turning to the new life in you. Forgive me for going my way instead of your way. I come to you, Jesus, and I surrender my life to you. It's, it, it really is that simple. And then you just begin to walk with him instead of apart from him. I urge you. I I implore you, if you've never done that, today make that choice. Make that decision to 
surrender your life to Jesus and to live in agreement with him. Lord Jesus, I don't know who I'm praying for now that needs to make that choice. Give them the courage to do it, I pray. And then, when they turn to you, I pray that you will release all of your blessing and benefit into their lives. And they will know the joy of forgiveness and they will experience the help that comes from walking with you. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. Stand with me, please.